Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill. Hey everybody, welcome back to Gray Malkin Lane's newest Patreon episode. I am so happy to be joined by my good friend, uh, who I have not yet met in person, but do get to later this year, uh, Mr. Justin Wilder. How are you, Justin? Oh yeah, I'm doing great. I'm excited to be here, hanging out. We uh we were just commenting on how old we feel. It's Sunday yes. morning. <laughs> the residual effects of Saturday still lingering on backs and, and fronts and sides. Yes, and on brains. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Justin is perhaps a resident on Gray Malkin Lane at this point. Uh, you, uh, There's a handful of guests that have made so many appearances through various character trials. Uh, I love your podcast. I'm a regular listener, and I love having you on my show every time. You are just a damn delight, my friend. I, I love being here. I love the trials. I love you know diving into anything, but the trials particularly, they just open up a certain level of fun. And I don't know if I told you this, but we had a listener that messaged me a couple weeks ago saying I was listening to a, a trial episode on Gray Malkin Lane and I had no idea that Alicia was a dancer and you were a lawyer and I'm sitting there like um that is the most flattering thing that you could ever say because I am in no way a lawyer I just play one on podcasts <laughs> and just get really into the improv of it <laughs> Justin is a an improv actor and a huge comic nerd uh slash I think it's okay to use this word slash scholar at this point. When you're spending sure, yeah. so many hours of your life analyzing and discussing comic books, I think we develop a certain skill set. It's like people who review music or food. Like when, when you do it for a hundred hours, you just know what you're doing at a certain point. Sure. I remember Jay Andrew DeMann who runs slash ran the Claremont run, uh, the, the Claremont run, the Twitter account that has now gone into publishing its first book coming up yeah. soon, analyzing... Yeah. The details of Claremont's work and I remember when I we had him on the podcast and just learning about that as a type of life a type of work just opened up so many ideas in my mind I was like hey how do we how do we get more into comics and make that a job because that's amazing yeah, I've said this multiple times on uh, on my show, but this podcast feels like a culmination of about 12 other professional ventures that I did before this. I made a documentary, right. I wrote a memoir, I published a graphic novel, I worked at Marvel's Handbooks, and this is kind of weirdly a combination of all of those skill sets uh, mm. as I'm like like throwing a lot of love into a regular show. It's a, a lot of fun. The trials take the most work, but they're also the most fun. Uh, I was just sharing with you via text. Uh, I, I had a kind of a, a hard stop point. I'm only doing the 60s characters. I, I, I won't add, even though people would more love, you know, like the trial of Mr. Sinister or Gambit or Storm. I'm, I'm keeping it to the 60s characters until I run out. And I'm saving Cyclops for last. Sure. Uh, but I just expanded my list of characters that I want to cover. And so we're going to go into next year a bit. I'm not in a hurry. We're uh, we're doing the hidden years on my show. And so I had more room and we get to add more classic villains. Uh, so we uh, 
we did Craven the Hunter, which is not someone I ever planned on. Uh, <laughs> Nipple I, lasers. Yeah, today I'm recording Mimic and the Super Adaptoid, uh, and yes. uh, we've we've got some plans for other characters like the High Evolutionary. Oh yeah, I'm throwing it. It's it's going to be a ton of fun. And Justin's coming back for that one. Yeah, I, oh, I, I was crazy to research, man. Jeez. <laughs> yeah, and I just it gives me an opportunity to dive in. I, you know, I know you are taking the, the behemoth of work on as you do this full dive and just scour the internet and the comic books and, and all everything to, to learn everything, but it's fun. Yeah, no, absolutely. And, and then you hand over this wonderfully put together little map of, okay, now, now you guys get to play in, in the continuity of this character. And it just, it's a, a history lesson for me in various characters that I maybe didn't know as deeply as that uh, and, and never knew I wanted to, but then I get into it and I'm like, wow, this is cool. And just knowing how it all feeds together, that's the beauty of continuity. And we get to do that today again. Uh, I felt like the, the I mean, I, I always feel responsible and careful about who I'm asking to do what, but one of the biggest asks I had of you guys was doing the character Kesar because he's kind of <laughs> ancillary to X-Men and it makes you step way outside your interest, but God, we had so much fun on that episode. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And just, and to know how that brings in other things, like I love the Savage Land and, you know, just just the ridiculousness of Kesar and and especially in contrast to Craven too, like these guys that they they should totally be best friends, but instead they're at each other's throats. They're at each other's loincloths. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> there's a oh god, I can't remember. <laughs> yeah. I, there, there's like the end of a case are uh kids are the savage, where it's like next issue, dead men don't wear loincloths is like the tagline <laughs> for the next. It's ridiculous. That's where my brain went. Uh, I, I'm always prepping the trials three months in advance. Uh so I just finished writing High Evolutionary, which we won't record till August. And he's been on my brain all week because mm. I just finished all his appearances. And I'm like sorting out like the science of it and the God of it and the queerness of it. And then yesterday we went to see Guardians of the Galaxy 3 and he's the villain. Mm -hmm. And I sobbed through like 40 minutes of the movie. Like I was ugly crying. It's Ooh. it's really beautifully done. And I know there's going to be some criticism about how they portray this character. But uh, seeing him brought to life in that way, I went home and was like, well, it's time to write the trial, which I did. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that, that's great synergy of timing. I, we're going this afternoon and I just hearing about the high evolutionary knowing that that's coming and then having that on the other side with guardians of the galaxy i just feel like is the extra level of excitement for herbert <laughs> i originally decided to do the high evolutionary because uh magda uh mm -hmm. noel and i did an episode on magda and then anthony Oliveira and i did an episode on bova and i'm like hmm I need to cover this guy because there's yeah. like there's more here with the X-Men. There's sinister stuff in there. Anyway, this is not a high evolutionary episode. <laughs> <but> <laughs> get there. Uh, I like to start uh, when I'm having a, a solo guest like this, Justin. Uh, I'd love to let our listeners get to know you and your story a little bit better. Are you willing to share a little bit of however you interpret this question, your origin story? My origin story as a human. That's why I said, however, yeah, however yeah, you right, interpret that sure. question is just fine. <laughs> yeah, um, I am a Rhode Islander. I've lived in Rhode Island my whole life and um, love it. You know, it's beautiful. It's great. We uh, enjoy the snow. We enjoy the, the beaches and just enjoy all that nature has to offer. Uh, Alicia, my co-host on the Ex-Wife podcast, and I, we just bought a house, and that's really exciting to get to just explore all the nature around us. Really big nature guy. I love 
uh, my origin story. Chad, what are you doing? <laughs> uh, well, when a man... Welcome to podcasting with a therapist. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, well, my, my dad's name is... <laughs> Um, you know, I was a huge nerd in school. Surprise. Uh, I have these huge, thick glasses, like Coke bottle lenses that just I hated all my life and got rid of at the first chance to get contacts. And I wear them every day now. Um, just, <laughs> you know, sometimes when I try to throw up the extra scholarly levels, I'll, I'll put the I'll put the glasses on. There was a period of time in college where you know I grow out the beard and, and pop on the glasses, and it's like Justin in his winter form. Um, I, I've always been interested in comics. I tried to be a comics artist for a little while as a kid. I, I took some classes at RISD, uh, which is the Rhode Island School of Design in Rhode Island, a really popular art school, and um, uh, X Factor Files knows that I loved and and pined over the Joe Kubert art school and, and always thought about uh, doing one of their correspondence classes or even going to. Uh, I was really excited when I, I studied film and media production in college and was really excited to combine those two interests in an animation course that really flexed the, the creative muscles and uh, work them all together. I, I am a, a videographer by career and an improviser by obsession. I perform regularly and, um, you know, slowly finding ways to mix X-Men into that. We, we did a really fun bit. Uh, it was like Xavier's ugly Christmas party with a Yankee swap on a improvised thing. I asked a couple of improv friends <laughs> to come on for our ugly Christmas the first year. And that was just hilarious. And I was like, how do I do more of that? That was tons of fun. Um, I think there are many reasons that you and I get along. Uh, I, I did a bunch of improv for years before I had kids. My my oldest was 14, so I quit when my oldest was born. Uh, but that riff, uh, the, you're, you're, uh, you're willing to do the homework mm -hmm. uh, and you're incredibly witty and charming and funny and just <laughs> super easy to be around. This will sound like a funny thing. And I think um, maybe only other queer people can understand. I, I do not have many straight guys in my life that I'm close friends with because there's always kind of a weird energy based on the way I grew up or mm -hmm. based on how they see or view queer people. But you're someone that I'm automatically chill and easygoing around like right away. You've met my friend Corey mm -hmm. uh, locally. He's my local straight friend. We were like one of my best friends. We spent all this time together, but it's because he's super fucking chill and easy to get along with that I can just be myself. Uh, that's, so that's a uh, gift, man. It's a really nice thing that I mean, I keep inviting the straight couple back to the gay show <laughs> over and no, over for a reason. <laughs> that's really great to hear. And I love that. Um, you know, it. my brother is gay. And but I, I didn't realize, didn't know he didn't come out to me. He came out to me first a um, number of years ago. But uh, even before that, you know, I've always tried to be an ally to everybody and tried to, you know, treat everybody as part of equal participants in the conversation and just be welcoming and be open and be empathetic and I feel like that's a, a big skill of improv is to try to understand what people are going through and where, where they're coming from and and how can you see yourself and others and and how can y'all just be part of the conversation because that makes it that much better um 
Yeah, no, but it's, that was really yeah, was yeah. And here, here I am saying like, thank you for being yourself. But it, it's a big deal <laughs> to create that safe space, and I think people can tell and notice right away. Both you and your wife are just the loveliest. It's it's nice learning more about you uh, with as much time as we spend. We've I've never asked your origin story as an example. <laughs> well, well, it's funny we. we... We were recording the podcast yesterday and we did something last week where I just had like some personal news uh, that I wanted to talk about on the show. We don't do that that often, right? You know, we, we're all business. We're here. We're talking about X-Men. We're here for the mutants. And that's why the listeners are here. You know, what about this guy and his dumb face? Who cares? <laughs> so uh, every now and then give a little tidbit here and there. I'm, I'm talking about me and my face, not you, Chad. Don't worry. <laughs> <laughs> I, think, I think that's true to a point. I think... Yeah. Uh, I think people come to your show because they like X-Men, but they return to their show because mm -hmm. they like you and your wife. Yeah. Does, does that make sense? Uh, if you yeah. have regular listeners, it's because they like the hosts. I think that's- Right, sure, 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 sure. Yeah, you got to vibe with the personality of the people that, you know, you can get your info wherever you want to get your info. But if you actually like the dynamic, yeah, we had someone give us a, a really great review that was like, you know, it's about X-Men, but it's really about a husband and wife connecting over something and, and having joy over this shared interest that they then spiral into madness and, and debates and conversations off of. As a, again, as a regular listener of your show, I could provide a whole commentary from a sociological <laughs> perspective, but part of what makes your show really charming, you guys are efficient with your time, you're thorough, you do the homework, but it's, it's, it really is, it's about the interplay between you two. You're mm. funny, you listen to each other and you don't agree about everything, but you never fight. It's, yeah, yeah. Just, it's just an easy, lovely, wonderful relationship. And your little quirks, your catchphrases, I mean, it's a really <laughs> fun show. There's a reason I come back again and again. Yeah. Uh, as a listener, I like both of you personally, but as, as a fan of your show, it's, it's, it's really good. You guys are doing some quality work, man. Oh man, this is great. This, I, who knew that I needed uh, all these positive things? <laughs> <laughs> I'm having the best Sunday ever. <laughs> uh, okay, so when I started this Patreon channel, I sat down and I made a list of all these characters from the 60s that would never get the trial, but I still really felt like needed focus. Hmm. And, uh, you know, Fred Duncan and Grotesque and all these characters, uh, and I've been able to cover a number of them. There still are a handful on my list that I'm planning to cover, like The Locust, for example. Uh, but right. it's really fun. It's really fun giving room to all of the 60s stuff and just like giving it room to breathe. On that list were the families of the various characters that start in the 60s as well. Uh, now on my show, I've covered a number of families at this point. Uh, I just did the McCoys, we've done the Drakes, we've done the Greys, uh, we've Ooh. even done the Prides and the Monroes, and all of them are really phenomenal episodes. They really inform characters. And a lot of these, a lot of these stories, because the characters are so ancillary and they're used very infrequently, we're kind of inferring what we know about Beast by what we learn about his parents. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. that, that type of story matters. Uh, one of these characters that I really wanted to cover right since the beginning is the Xavier family. And uh, right. Justin was willing to do that one with me. Uh, tell me your initial thoughts and why you chose to do this particular family with me. Yeah, so I, right, you can't overstate Xavier's importance to the mythos of X-Men, right? As much as he's a jerk and you might hate him here and there, uh, he is at the core of what the X-Men are and what they become and what they have been. And to know the lead-in, just from a base curiosity, the lead-in from his parents, right? So I've read most of the issues that are relevant to the characters that we're talking about today, Sharon and Brian, but to see it as this connected story and then to really 
dig into the details about whatever was going on in New Mexico and, and to know that there is so much more intrigue to how them through this group affect a large number of people, mutants, and, and this pocket of the world. I just felt like that was something that I really wanted to get into. I really wanted to learn more about as a curious fan and to just know, you know, like, what makes them tick? You know, what, what, what makes them be as crazy as they are? Because I feel like that's part of the appeal. Oftentimes with the characters like this, I start to think of, I don't know, let's say there's a show that's been running for 20 seasons and we start with a particular character and there's a flashback to their life in episode two. And it's a writer like five seasons later who's like, oh, we should take that flashback and do something with that story. Right. And we we get the flashback of Professor X in his childhood in the Juggernaut era, which is when we'll, or the Juggernaut first appearance, which is where we'll start today. But you see this kind of reinterpreted and then writers love to throw in mythology. They yeah. love to put in the deep mystery and to tie it to the modern characters. Mr. Sinister did not exist when Charles Xavier existed, uh, right. but later he exists. And boy, does he matter to the history of the character that existed first, right? That kind of thing is common. And I love that because it, it makes revisiting and reading in publication order so much more interesting because it expands a moment in your mind that you thought was illuminated to its max, but then it's like, no, there were these nooks and crannies, these shadows amongst that story that we had seen that show you, oh no, there's there's more to this and it's layered. And and to, you know, the, the biggest, most recent one is the whole Moira thing, right? Mm -hmm. and, and how that just expands what it means for that character to have lived all this time and the influence that they now have over the universe. To say something similar about Sinister and his having been woven into Xavier's story and, and connected to these other characters in this, this group with Irene and uh, Kane's father and, and just all of these, uh, it just, it's crazy. It's, it's crazy. Really, it's really fascinating. And that's why there's always a timestamp. Even as we're recording these episodes, new issues are constantly coming out. You never know when something is going to be explored or expanded upon. Sure. Krakoa is a billions year old mutant who has mutated into an island, which is a new piece of information if we ever do a Krakoa episode, which will now be added until they change right. it. Domino <laughs> was Domino until she was copycat. Right. <laughs> you right. That's, you a, that's know. how comics work. <laughs> anything, anything changes and someone's coming back from the dead or they never were dead or this person was related to this person or so Adam X. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, we'll get to him one day. I'm, oh, doing, I'm doing a Summers Family episode uh, in a couple months with Philip C.V. And I'm genuinely excited. We just put the research all together. And I, it, may be, it may be my first like four hour episode because there's just so much there's to There's so about. many. <laughs> right. Uh, so Professor X, he's there right at the beginning. He is elusive. He's grumpy. He's bossy he's promising demerits there's the famous t-shirt i know you guys show on your show sometimes that professor x is a jerk with kitty pride oh, yeah. uh the youth being allowed to question him there is some incredible exploration happening with him in immortal x-men right now yeah he's so powerful and so rich and has so much influence and we want to land on the dreamer side of him but we often land on the holding him accountable because magneto was right the whole time side yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, we've done a lot of conversations on my show about him obviously but it's important to kind of set up that character as we start to examine where he has come from and how writers have tried to explore 
how he became who he became. You can just look at X-Men number one and think, okay, how did he get into the wheelchair? Uh, where did this mansion come from? How long has he known about his powers? What does he do with them? You know, like there's like right from the start, there's all these questions and these blanks to fill in. And as the time goes on, it gets more and more expansive. Yeah. Uh, tell me your thoughts on uh, on Professor X as a character, if you would like, before we jump into talking about his parents. So, I mean, I one of the the goals of the podcast when I started it was to uh, to illuminate the idea that he is not the great person that he is portrayed as in the movies and the TV shows, because Alicia, who had never read any comics before, saw Professor X, Patrick Stewart, you know, uh, uh, McKellen, not McKellen, uh, James McAvoy. Sure. He's, you know, uh, he's such a nice guy. He's doing this holier than thou uh, dreamer thing, bringing everybody together for the positivity of everybody. And I was like, no, that's not even that guy. This guy's an asshole. You have no idea. I'm going to blow your mind. And I hit the nail on the head like real hard, real fast. And now she hates him. And so I, I <laughs> preface all of that because I, I enjoy a, a dash of Xavier. You know, there's a little bit to him and especially with what he's tried to do and, and, his intention, you know, he's, there's this, we talk about it a lot. There's the the lie that they're all trying to work together, right? Because they're all trying to do their own thing separately. Even Xavier, he's trying to do his thing. It's his dream. It's not our dream. It's just his dream that you bought in on. And it's a beautiful dream. It's a great dream. It doesn't really work for everybody. So they have their own things. And I just, I feel like it's the resistance to work with other people on a, a level that really intertwines the dreams. And I feel like that is uh, the, the promise of Krakoa, and at least from the start, I think that, you know, he gets a, a ton of shit, most, most deservingly, right? He is the guy that could be manipulating everyone and you wouldn't even know. And he even admits it is that immortal X-Men issue where he's like, you know, I, yeah. I I've read it. that speech out loud on my show. God, it's so uh, good. Karen Gillen. It's amazing. It's so good. And, and, you know, there's the question of, is that sinisterized or is that just really how he inner monologues? Is that how the man talks about himself when he's doing his morning affirmations trying to get, you know, I could kill everybody if I wanted to. <laughs> I'm this asshole that could just do whatever. Uh, I don't know, maybe, but He's definitely, he's a jerk, but he means well, or at least he tries to. It's it's an interesting thing. Let's let's look at one story very quickly. Uh, and this will reference back to the McCoys episode. Uh, Hank McCoys, a mutant who has been exposed on television because he was playing during a football game. Mm -hmm. And a supervillain comes and kidnaps his parents and is making uh, Hank do things to save their lives. And Xavier swoops in. And he saves Hank's life, he saves Hank's parents, and then he immediately erases their minds and takes their kid away to give them a school to thrive in, yeah. uh, which then eventually becomes the platform that Beast becomes Beast, <laughs> just a lot. But he clearly saved the day. He clearly right. did it in a way that his powers and skill sets allow him to do. But also he did it in a really morally complicated way that leaves you going, ooh. And that's where Xavier is for me. He's he's the dreamer. He's certainly a hero. He certainly does incredible, powerful things and saves the planet. 
but also he does it in ways that leave you feeling icky. <laughs> right, right. You know, it, it's not enough to do good things. It's He has that tilt of, well, I did it for me and I did it my way because that's how I needed it for my future plans. You know, it it's the, the line between dreamer and schemer because he's up to stuff and they're, they're nice things in the end, or at least the, the goal is nice, but the way that you go about it sometimes feels feels very uncomfortable. So Professor X, if we go back to the 60s run, there's only a handful of issues that really stand out as amazing. X-Men mm -hmm. number four and X-Men number one, the first appearance yeah. of Magneto and the Brotherhood, and then they're fine. And then we get into uh, the first appearance of the Juggernaut and then the Sentinels. And that's yeah. kind of it that people really fondly remember until uh, until Neil Adams joins. Neil Adams, yeah. We've covered every one of these books on my show, so long-term listeners will know what we're talking about. But we're going to jump in starting today with the Juggernaut story. It's this incredible menacing two-parter. The Juggernaut is this powerhouse that can't be stopped. He's slowly storming toward the mansion. And Xavier takes this opportunity by Stanley and Jack Kirby to tell the kids his origin story for the first time. Uh, if you uh, have listened, go back and listen to the episode I did on Cobalt Man with Phil Ewing. We talk a lot about the atomic age and how it influenced a lot of the superheroes and threats. And mm -hmm. Professor X and Beast both have these tie-ins to their origin where they base it in some sort of atomic explosion or energy or nuclear disaster because they wanted to explain how could this person become a mutant? And we only have a couple of <laughs> characters that get that. So in Xavier's words, he says, it all started, it started with an atomic blast years ago at Alamogordo, New Mexico. I'll never forget that fateful Holocaust where my father was killed in the blast. And that's where we start. My dad died in a nuclear explosion. <laughs> yeah, gather around kids. I'm going to tell you a scary story. <laughs> We flash back to a lonely funeral in the rain and the, the pastor saying, and so we commit Brian Xavier to the earth. And we see little baby Charles Xavier standing with his mother, Sharon. She's blonde, a pretty little thing in a green raid coat and a hat. And she's crying into a tissue. And at her side is Kurt Marco, who's this large burly man, clearly a lot older than she is. He's in a trench yeah. coat and his arm is in a bandage. And Charles thinks, if only dad had been able to escape the blast the way Dr. Marco did. And Kurt leans over and puts his arm around Sharon and says, I know how you must feel, Sharon, and I share your grief. But as his friend, I shall look after you and after the boy, too. And Sharon says, thank you, Kurt. You, you're very kind. And Charles thinks, even though he was dad's fellow scientist, I never trusted Dr. Marco and I don't trust him now. And Kurt pulls Sharon in close and says, my dear, dear Sharon, I would gladly have given my own life to save Brian's if only it were possible. And Sharon says, Kurt, you're such a tower of strength for me at a time like this. And Charles thinks he lies. He might have saved dad, but he saved himself instead. So let's start with this kind of opening. What have we learned about Xavier just in this opening funeral scene? <laughs> he, he trusts nothing, no one, everyone's lying. And, and part of me wonders is this subconscious development of his powers early on is he is he getting any of this intuition from the surface level thoughts of kurt and and even later on like we know kind of jumping ahead but he we know that he has this ability to connect with his mother in some way you know is this the the initial manifestations as he's getting a, a pretty spot on read of kurt's intentions and actionable history oh, we're also getting an image of a very grieving widow and i think that's how she's meant to be portrayed but she comes across as very 
manipulate, like easily manipulated by other people. Kurt comes across as someone who's keeping secrets. We're not going to spend time on it yet, but we're going to go back and add in later continuity that shows Mr. Sinister was experimenting on Charles already at this time. The parents were keeping a lot of secrets and Charles has already killed Cassandra in the womb prior to right, all of right. this. So we'll get right. to that. But as we're looking at the complexity of this, there's a lot that we add to it later that makes things fascinating. Well, like, how, how old do you think he is in this? Do we oh, really I have any? He seems to be around 10 to me. Yeah. But he he talks and looks like he's a 40-year-old child. Like he's just <laughs> not having anything. I will play with my blocks when I'm ready, woman. You know, he's just such a gruff and weathered child because I and and not to make light of the fact that his dad just died. So maybe I get that. That might be contributing to his current disposition. But it's just he always reads as so even even opposite Kane he just feels like he's older than he is more mature more i don't know stuck up <laughs> maybe that's it no, I, I think that's fair it's also interesting and we're going to note right at the start alamogordo new mexico is famously an area where nuclear bombs might be tested where they're testing to see how things go this would have been set, this was published in the early 60s. So at the time they were envisioning Charles having grown up in the 1940s. Mm -hmm. There's this weird institution at Alamogordo that's doing weird things. It's kind of interesting because this atomic explosion that kills Brian Xavier has kind of never really been explained or explored yeah. very much. Uh, we will talk about the facility, but some of what we're about to talk about today, I think are the biggest, and that's saying something, mysteries in the X-Men franchise. Yeah, uh, they're so largely unexplored and they seem so utterly consequential. Uh, thoughts on that before we continue? Well, and, and it's just how little was there here, right? You get the tent poles of this location, a bunch of mystery, a death, and, and then every issue that touches on it as we go 10 years later, 20, 30, even more, takes these big swings at showing us what actually was happening there what that led to and it just that's the it's almost the beauty of the intentional leaving it limited in detail so that it can develop it can be explored and it still remains as this like, what the what the hell were they doing like what well and brian xavier could have been killed in a car accident with a heart right. attack yeah right. robbery it's a fucking nuclear explosion is where they like it's Right. Open it. It's crazy. It's, it's a nuclear explosion and a potential plot from his quote unquote friend and colleague. And, and just for a one pager, you know, it's a very dense backstory on his father. So we continue. Same issue. Juggernaut still approaching. Professor X narrates. But months later, Markle persuaded my grief stricken mother that I needed a father to take care of me. And although it filled my heart with a nameless dread, they were finally married. And Sharon says, your new father has kindly agreed to live in our old home, Charles, for your sake. So they're going into the mansion. Bullshit. <laughs> and Charles, Charles says, he may fool or thinks he may fool mother, but not me. I know this is what he wanted. Mother's wealth and position and property. Even as a boy, my mutant brain let me sense secrets which were locked in the minds of others. And you kind of wonder here if Xavier as a child was thinking these things or if this is just how adult Xavier is viewing sure. a little bit of hindsight. Yeah. Yeah, he's flavoring it in the way I was like, well, I was that smart back then. And I just had this just strong gut intuition on everyone. 
I always knew. Uh, so Charles spends time watching Kurt very closely. He suspects he wants money and power. Months go by and Charles is like lurking in the corners constantly, which is something <laughs> he needs to do with his brain later. Right. And at one point, Sharon walks in on Kurt. He's working with some bubbly pink chemicals. And Kurt says, I told you to never disturb me when I'm at work. And Sharon says, but Kurt, I, I hardly ever see you anymore. I've been a fool. You never really cared for me. You just wanted power, the, the power our wealth could bring you. And Kurt says, and why not? Ever since I can remember, your husband had everything, fame, success, the admiration of the world, while I was nobody. But things are different now. And he throws a paper at <laughs> Sharon. And Sharon says, don't, Kurt, don't. You're frightening Charles. And Kurt says, what do I care about him? The son of my former marriage is coming home tomorrow. Uh, and then we get to Kane Marco next. But boy, uh, do things turn quickly here. Now, speaking, and I'll make it very serious for a moment. Speaking as a kid who my parents divorced when I was 11 and my mom remarried a man who spent five years smacking us all around. I know what this energy in a house is like and what it's like to be a teenager with a stepdad and you're trying to get his approval, but he's really just a fucking asshole and you can't see it clearly until he shows up like this. Yeah. Uh, what are your thoughts on the Kurt uh, Sharon dynamic? Oh, it's terrible. He's the worst. And if you go into this thinking Xavier's a jerk, you're like, well, well this other guy, you know, you gotta, you gotta be aware that they're all around and how that might have influenced him or, or hardened him against it. Uh, it's just how much Kurt is plotting, right? As we later reveal in this issue, how much he is after and, and to really get into everything. I think this is interesting because at, at this point, we don't really know much about the estate either, right? The, the, right. the land that they live on, the big mansion, where it all came from. And to Kurt's point, you know, he had all of this, the, the wealth, the, the admiration of everything, where it all came from, the big mystery, and and how this just skeevy little guy manipulated his way into this posh situation, and now his jerk of a son. You know, you, you think, oh, this guy's terrible. You can only imagine that his son is dog shit, because, you know, he... <laughs> The kid that I don't know where he was for the last couple of pages, months, who knows? He's coming. He's going to live here. He seems to have been off at like a boarding school. We're going to learn more about Juggernaut. Tracks. We're not going to go into Juggernaut's individual history, but we're going to later learn basically Kurt kind of beat his mom up and she died. And now she's off at, he's off at boarding school. So uh, he's coming home and, and Kane is a very sympathetic character when viewed through the right lens. One of the biggest life lessons I've learned on my podcast, I came in and did a giant juggernaut trial and I tried to cover way too much shit and it went way too long. And I was so stressed out because I was worried about all the guests uh, investment and all the time they were spending. But I came in with this preconceived idea that juggernaut was this awful asshole. And I left feeling like, oh my God, I actually love this character now. Yeah. Tell us about baby juggernaut. <laughs> I mean, baby juggernaut. So, and I think that that's important to, to even acknowledge the trauma that he's gone through and what happened to his mom, which, you know, we get none of here, but to, to know that he has this non-existent relationship with his father and that's making him rebel in this way. You, in this moment, I, I don't want to sympathize for him, but over time and as you explore what's going on, I was like, oh yeah, all right, I, I get it. I understand. Do you want to and talk then, about the first time he meets Charles? <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah, as he as he hits him in the face, he literally slaps him across the face in the first minute. Right. Yeah, like, oh, you know, <laughs> wow, isn't that? I mean, but then you look at it from a, a 
I have a brother and you know, we hit each other around. <laughs> Not like that. Like he looks like he just almost uppercuts him in the nose. So there's a lot happening behind the scenes. There's a complicated relationship between Kurt and Brian that we kind of don't get a lot of insight into, but clearly there's feelings of jealousy. The relationship between Kurt and Kane, we don't see a lot of interaction between Sharon and Kane. This is her new stepson. Uh, a lot of this issue after this focuses on how Charles and Kane grew up differently and why they are mortal enemies. Uh, and it's kind of Charles's fault in a lot of ways, if I'm honest. But we're going to focus more on the Xavier side of things. It's it's Charles's fault, but it's also Kurt's fault entirely because he he is here because he's got what what do I care about Kane? I've got this new son. He's so much cooler and he's got all these powers and intelligence, and I want to raise him now. Well, and it's also the Xavier's fault because they yeah. left Mr. Sinister experiment on their kid, which we'll get to a little later. How? <laughs> <Ow>, why? <laughs> Who signed up for this? What was the pitch? <laughs> Charles, in kind of a passing mention, just says, it wasn't long before my heartbroken mother shut her eyes for the last time, joining her first yeah. husband, my father, forever. We'll come back right. to that in a minute, but Sharon just dies off panel very abruptly. And he says, and so I was alone with them. And young Charles is thinking how Kurt Marco now controls his inheritance until he comes of age. And then one day he listens to Kurt and Kane arguing. Do you want to take Kane's part in this section? Sure. Kurt says, I told you not to disturb me when I'm at work. I'll leave as soon as you give me the money I asked for. You can afford it now. You inherited everything. The answer is no, Kane. If you want money, go out and earn it, as I did. I know how you earned it. It was no accident that Xavier died at Almogordo. You dare accuse me? And he takes Kane by the shirt collar and threatens him. Don't you ever say that again. Do you hear? For as long as I live, don't you ever say that again. And then Charles walks in. You're too late. I heard him. What did he mean by that? What really happened to my father during the atom bomb blast? And Kurt yells, nothing, nothing at all. He was just joking. <laughs> he didn't realize what he was saying. And then Kane says, just a fun joke between son and father, you know, attempted murder and stealing a family. I realized plenty and no bratty stepbrother is going to cause any trouble now. And Kane grabs a test tube full of liquid and Kurt yells, Kane, don't touch those test tubes. They're unstable, explosive. But Kane throws it against the wall and there's a splat sound effect. He goes, you young fool, it's too late now. You've spilled them. If the different chemicals should touch each other. And Charles yells, looks out. And then we see future Charles narrating about this moment. He says, but before another word could be said, the potent fluids did make contact. And that was the last I knew as the deafening explosion destroyed the lab and all its contents. It was then that my stepfather did the one unselfish deed of his life. Although fatally injured himself, he managed to carry Cain and me to safety as the life ebbed out of him. And then with his last remaining breath, he gasped, Charles, your father's death was an accident, but I might have saved him if I tried, but I didn't. Forgive me. Beware of Cain when he finds out about your power. Oh, and he's dead. How you know that? How do you know that, Kurt? Well, <laughs> did you know something that you're not telling us? Is there some secret experimentation going on? So Juggernaut attacks. We go on and we see more of Kane and Charles' story. They were rivals. They enlisted in the military together. Kane gets lost in the Temple of Sidorak, and Charles leaves him buried there for 40 years or something. And, and now he's attacking. But there's a lot of mysteries left over from this original origin story. Yeah. Where do the Xaviers get their riches? What happened between Kurt and Brian? Uh, how did Sharon die? 
there's there's a lot that's left here. How did, as you just noted, Justin, how did Kurt know about Charles's powers? So there's right. there's a lot that's set up and then it's just kind of not touched on for years. Years. Yeah, right? Not until, what, the 90s? Mm -hmm. That's crazy. That's crazy. That's <laughs> like, hey, and, and that's just, I. you look back at it and you're amazed by how much someone just brings to the table and they're like, yeah, these are all these things. You can play with them whenever you want. I'm just going to leave them here. Uh, the beauty of exposing further continuity and to find what else there could be. And nearly every major X-Men character has major parts of their origin that are this way. Right. Storm, Storm's parents being buried alive over, you know, like their, their, their corpses and their, their death. Uh, Sarah Gray, Jean's sister and her mm. mute children and uh, what happened to them. I mean, I could go on and on, but there's just a number of these very tragic stories that you kind of never get a lot of follow-up on. It's really fascinating. Mm. Um, okay, so we're going to notice a trend here. The Xaviers get giant things added to their stories that are never then followed up on <laughs> over and over and over again. Uh, before we continue, what was it like for you to put all this research together uh, as you started stacking up the story in this way? Well, it's just so when you cut to it and you read just these segments, it's like, wow, there's a really interesting intentional story being built with giant gaps of time in between and, and just... All right. Well, you know, this thing we didn't have any more details. We'll give you kind of more, we'll, we'll, we'll breadcrumb you along a little bit more. We'll give you all right. There, there's something else. I'm just gonna add another layer of crazy for someone else to bring up later on, and and to just find ways to reconcile those those big differences in new information. It, it's it, it just makes me geek out because of the the. I don't know if it's forethought or it's just an intentional leaving things blank for others to fill in. There is a series in the mid nineties called Professor Xavier in the X-Men where modern writers are doing early retellings of the X-Men stories. They're literally taking it issue by issue. If you go read this series, it's a little cartoony, but this mm. is kind of an era where it was really difficult to read the original comics. Most people had never read them. So I was picking up the books at this time and this was all a new education for me. There are a couple issues of this series which didn't run for very long. It kind of ends at the Sentinels, which is kind of where it should end, frankly. <laughs> uh, there's a couple issues where they really try to expand on the stories, though. They give Blob more backstory. Scarlet Witch and Quicksilver get more backstory. And in Professor X and the X, Professor Xavier and the X Men number twelve, we get more of uh, the Xavier backstory. Uh, they take time to expand it a little bit more. So there's a there's a part where Charles narrates. Although Marco's intentions were all too uh, all too clear to me, my mother fell for his transparent machinations with remarkable ease, desperate, seeking comfort from the all-consuming grief of my father's passing. Uh, we get another early flashback to Kurt and Sharon's courtship. Uh, Kurt says Charles is still a young boy. Too much of a mother's coddling will do him harm. He needs a father figure in his life. I don't have to tell you how fond I've grown of him and of you. And Sharon says, Kurt, I, and Kurt says, you don't have to say it. I know I can't replace Brian in your heart. I would never ask that of you, but it doesn't mean that we have to spend the rest of our lives alone. And Charles narrates, it wasn't long before Marco was able to persuade her to marry him. He even had the audacity to move into my father's house. And there's there's a very much like an element of like 1940s Hollywood here, yeah. where like a woman who's single just can't make it on her own. She has to be married in order to continue her station in life, which was kind of the thing back then. They had no rights. 
you almost yeah. get the vibe of like she doesn't get her property unless she's married like there's sure, a sure. element of coercion here that's well, and, and yeah absolutely it's uncomfortable and especially just how kurt reads as though he's thought of literally everything she might say in protest and and comes back well i know that it's not that but it could be better for your kid you know i know that i can't replace your husband but i'm here for you and it's just anything that she could possibly rebut with he's already thought of it and he's got something else to layer on because it's just it's his long game plan into the wealth that is the xavier's now smarter writers in the future will take uh, smarter i don't mean smarter than anyone we've already talked about smart writers in the future will draw this parallel between kane and charles though about the, fo- the both the fact that they survived this abusive man that they're both orphans that both of their fathers died in explosions, sure, that both yeah. of their mothers died tragically. Uh, there's a lot of shared history between these two who understand each other in a particular way, which is really interesting. Uh, Sharon, uh, as we continue the flashback here, Sharon says, under the circumstances, I'm glad Marco insisted uh, on moving into their home. As she's saying this to Charles, it would be easier on you if we stayed in our old home. This is a period of adjustment for all of us, and he doesn't want us to uproot you so soon after after the accident wasn't that thoughtful of him charles and then we're a little farther a in the jerk. future <laughs> a little it's farther terrible. he just wants everything a little farther <laughs> in the future we get another interchange uh will you read kurt here and i'll read sharon sure how many times do i have to tell you not to disturb me when i'm working sharon can't you see i'm busy so clearly this is picking up on the original story but adding a little more sharon says but kurt i never see you anymore ever since you had this extravagant laboratory built on the estate you've been obsessed with nothing but work what are you insinuating can't you see that i'm on the verge of my greatest achievement your ceaseless nagging is breaking my concentration. So shut up already and leave me alone. We're leaning hard into the abuse here. <laughs> yeah. What a fool I've been. You never really cared for me. You just wanted Brian's possessions for yourself. And what's so wrong with that? <laughs> Ever since I can remember, Brian always had everything handed to him on a silver platter. Fame, success, the admiration of his peers. And all the while, despite all my hard work and dedication, I went unnoticed and unrewarded. It wasn't fair. I deserved better. I still do. Smashes a bunch of beakers. And this this guy, this like fragile, like male white ego. <laughs> and <laughs> Sharon says, stop it, Kurt. You're frightening Charles. Ah, what do I care about him now that my real son is coming home? Uh, and and she says, your son, Kurt, wh- what are you talking about? Which is giving the implication that Sharon has never heard he has another never child, heard. which is yeah. fucking crazy. It's insane. Yeah, <laughs> he's got multiple kids, got a whole backstory you didn't even know about. How much did you know this man that weaseled his way into your family? Didn't you know I have a son from a former marriage? His name is Kane and he'll be arriving tomorrow. You'll be sure to make him feel welcome. Won't you, dear? Just so gaslighty. If you had right. really cared about me, you might have known I had a child. It's not my right. fault. I never told you. Blah. Never, never and, took an interest. I'm thinking like Charles took these memories from Sharon. Like he he remembers these so intimately, but that's not directly stated. And then we see Kane arrive, and he's ordering the butler around. And Charles, again from his adult perspective, immediately senses that Kane has an aura of evil around him. And Kane like flicks a cigarette in his face. This is very like. Kane's got like very much like a 1950s uh, rebel without a cause kind of energy. 
yeah yeah because if, if xavier is what like 10 or so which he definitely still looks kane's got cigarettes is he 18 punching this 10 year old in the face i don't know i don't think so i think he's probably just 15 and, and doesn't know anything good for him uh, and then we have one last narration bubble here. Uh, Charles says, Kane's presence in our household was the final straw as far as my mother was concerned. Disillusioned and heartbroken, she became increasingly despondent. Within months, she passed away and I was left alone in the world. Mm. So this, these, these flashbacks are valuable because it entrenches the idea of the secret keeping on Kurt's part uh, of the level of abuse and manipulation. It very much centers into the story that this was an abusive man. It's stating it directly on the page at this point. Yeah. Uh, and it's just left and right and just so there's there's no you know we can we can talk about the redemption of or the sympathy for juggernaut there's nothing there's nothing for kurt right he's just he's terrible through and through he uh he is a, a pretty irredeemable character yeah. even though he saved charles from that explosion that one time <laughs> that one time and he's like and basically to make up for not having done it for brian which, you know, is hard to read the whole, like, oh, I could have, I thought about it. But at the same time, weren't you planning to then steal his wife and family and, and ancestral home? Like, isn't this all a big plot? And I want to be clear, it is 2023, and we have still never seen exactly how Brian Xavier dies, which no. is a crazy story that needs to be told. And by the way, I have total ideas and may or may not have already written a script about this. <laughs> if I That's ever great. get to work for Marvel, perhaps I will tell this story. Yeah. Uh, okay, now we jump to 1992. Claremont has left the books. They have been expanded into kind of a franchise for the first time. All the creative teams have been shuffled around. This is the X-Men Blue, X-Men Gold era. We have Uncanny X-Men and X-Men now being published. Uh, were you collecting in 92? I was not. Okay. Um, so well, so no, uh, not until a couple years after that. So this is Fabian Nicieza on the book. Uh, mm. Art Thibbert is the artist, and he decides to take the Xavier story and expand. Uh, I had not read these issues in a long time. It was fascinating putting them in context. And and this is Nicieza's first issue on X-Men. So Jim Lee was number 11, and Nicieza had been involved in the X office with X-Force and, and working with Liefeld, but this is his first issue to, to come, this like, you know what, and this little gem on the shelf that I picked <laughs> up on and no one wanted to do anything with, plus the synergy of it being issue 12, I thought was really interesting, 12 and 12 from the original run, he's like, you know, it's just a great time to drop a little knowledge on what happened. So I'm going to cover this issue quick and then let's talk about it because it's there's a lot that happens here. This is issues 12 and 13. Carter Reiking has been kept in the, quote, Reiking Hospital for Parahuman Research outside of Las Cruces, New Mexico. And it's a facility that's founded by the multi-billionaire industrialist Alexander Reiking. And it has been dubbed by some the Betty Ford Clinic for rich superfolks, which is amazing. <laughs> Uh, but the people who work at Reiking don't find that very funny. They see their patients in a far different light. They see potential human nuclear bombs just primed to detonate. And every day brings another bomb they must defuse. And Carter sees a news report about his father, Alexander, dying. And then he breaks through the sedation they've been keeping him under, blows up a wall of the facility, and is rushing out to get the truth about his past. Okay, so just a quick recap. There's a hospital that's keeping mutants there sedated so they can't use their powers. Hmm. One of them, Carter, sees that his dad, Alexander, who's the founder of the hospital, died and he has broken out. 
Meanwhile, Charles Xavier has received a file pertaining to activities about his father, Brian. The file claims that Brian was experimenting with genetic mutation at the Alamogordo Nuclear Research Facility when he was young. Okay, so already a big revelation about Brian Xavier. Huge, huge. Uh, experimenting at this facility where he died. Alexander Reiking is now dead, and it turns out he worked with Brian Xavier, and Charles Xavier returns to Sioux Falls, South Dakota, for the funeral of Alexander Reiking, and he remembers visiting his parents, his father's grave there as a child, so his dad is also buried in North Dakota, apparently, uh, and he's Brandon. he remembers playing with Carter Reiking when he was eight or nine, uh, as he's wondering now as an adult what his father was involved in, and he hears a voice in his mind that says, Pain. He was involved in pain, the pain of giving life and the pleasure of taking it. And then there's a man in purple and yellow armor that attacks the funeral. He's yelling, you mourn a false memory. My father was not a great man. He was a liar, a manipulator. And Charles fights back against him telepathically and tries to calm him down. But then Charles realizes that this man attacking him was Carter Reiking, his childhood friend. And Carter grabs Xavier and flies away to go back to Alamogordo so they can find out the truth about his past. Let's pause here. What have we learned? <laughs> oh, man. The Reiking of it all, the, the this other family, the, the bomb drop of, hey, you know that mysterious facility that was nuclear test site and also underground genetic mutation experiments happening. Uh, just the, <laughs> the, the fact that Brian Xavier worked in New Mexico, had a home in New York, but is buried in South Dakota, just doesn't make sense. His ancestral home, his family, was born raised and and i would assume i'd assume these are the people that they bury themselves on their property because it's so freaking huge <laughs> and they're rich and they're rich and that's some weird <laughs> shit that you do when you're rich i guess so we get this idea that uh kurt marco brian xavier and alexander reiking are all working at this facility together not only that but reiking has a mutant child brian xavier has a mutant child and kurt marco has the guy who becomes the juggernaut so we all we have three legacy characters added in. And and so I know Juggernaut is not a mutant. Has he ever been listed as or or said to have the potential for mutant? Like, you know. No, not really. Uh, in fact, that's that's kind of referenced. We'll get into that in just a minute when we learn sure. more about what they were doing at Alamogordo. But it is interesting to note that these three him? with this mysterious purpose end up with three wildly different powerful futures, you know. Right. Uh, Carter being the one that's not allowed to develop because he's kept sedated all this time, which is uh, its own kind of tragedy. So Carter starts calling himself Hazard, H-A-Z-A-R-D. And this is a character I feel like a lot of people have heard of, but don't really know much about. And they're searching through the ruins of Alamogordo to they, where they find a secret sub-basement. But the room blows up and Xavier says there's no answers here. And as they walk away, there's a single page that floats out in the rubble that says... Shiva, excuse me, Shiva Scenario Committee Evaluation Report, Dr. Kurt Marco, Dr. Alexander Reiking, Dr. Brian Xavier. Mm -hmm. And that's where the mystery ends. I'm, I know I'm covering this quickly, but tell me your thoughts on Hazard and this kind of, uh, this again, we talked about the secrets that have been kept, but this is, this is a wild story. Yeah. And just have this, I, I it's a big out of nowhere. Right. And and having read, I've read the, the 11 issues that come before this number 12. It just is completely out of nowhere. It's like, hey, yeah, there's this guy. He's got crazy powers. 
uh, what are energy perception and plasma generation and just out of absolutely nowhere along with these deep secrets about the the mystery of your father and what was going on uh I, have we seen other than x-men legacy we've not seen hazard at all i mean are we are we going to resurrect him on krakoa are we gonna... he's a character that needs to be explored this is a huge part of xavier's story and this character's kind of just been left in the dust a little yeah. bit yeah it's an interesting thing Hazard uh, Hazard represents the secrets of Xavier's past and their potential. And it seems clear to me that Nicieza is not only playing with the toys in the toy box and he's done his homework, but mm. that he's setting up some longer term plot lines. And he does follow up on them a bit because Nicieza is the one that's really expanded the Alamogordo stuff and the Black Loom stuff, which we'll get into. Yeah, which, you know, it's interesting. The, the power of Hazard, this ability to basically be a bomb, you know, a bomb drop essentially as he's literally bringing in this bomb drop of information and thinking, is there, is there some connection in how he shows up in relation to Charles? You know, I, you always look at the dichotomy of Charles and Magneto, the, the mind over matter. And then you just have this guy that's like, oh yeah, I just blow everything up. I'm this <laughs> other force that you didn't even know that you needed to be aware of. A couple years later, Scott Libdell is writing Uncanny X-Men, and we get Uncanny X-Men 309, which is a beautiful Charles oh, Xavier yeah. story. We're not going to cover the whole part today. This is Emilia Vote. This is uh, Charles reckoning with being paralyzed. There's a lot of really incredible parts that really explore his psychology. But there's one particular moment where Xavier is having like a weird kind of telepathic therapy session with Magneto, and he talks about his mother. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. Uh, Justin, will you give us what Xavier shares about Sharon here? Sharon Xavier was an angel on earth without equal. She was the most caring, most giving person I've ever known. I loved her with all my heart. And then he is confronted with the deeper truth that at the age of 10, he saw her getting beaten by Kurt Marco and saw Sharon turn to drink. She was a frightened, lonely 27-year-old who only married Marco because she thought it was best for me. I know this because I would go to her afterwards, after she was beat, hold her. Though I didn't realize what I was doing at the time, I would reach out with my mind, with what would eventually come to be my psionic mutant power, and share her pain in an effort to alleviate it. So this is the first visual we've seen of Kurt Marco being physical with Sharon. We yeah. also we also get hints that Sharon was turning to alcohol. And there was that paper, though. I mean, he did throw <laughs> that piece of paper. <laughs> Because there's a difference between verbal and physical abuse and, and yeah, emotional, yeah. but this is the physical. Uh, there's also the uh, there's also the implication here that Charles is absorbing the emotional pain of his mother. Now, again, speaking as a kid who grew up in an abusive household, there was a lot of times in my childhood where I had to like be there for my mom. 
mm-hmm. uh, and you you kind of put your own pain aside because you're trying to help somebody. And that's like a thing that kids of abuse go through. But this this like little just kind of couple lines of dialogue really adds a lot of context to that early story. And then again, not followed up on again. So we have writers just kind of giving us new little nuggets as time goes by as they're exploring Charles. Which is so crazy to think of the importance of Charles to the story and just how little we know about his backstory, his history, and what makes him, you know, we all talk about the dream and about all he does, but where does that come from? Why does he do this? Is he is he trying to to alleviate the pain of mutants everywhere? Is this is this something that comes from his experience trying to stand up for and, and safeguard his mother? And I just, I think that it's crazy that, what, in 1992, 30 years later, we're only just getting bits and pieces of his backstory, his history. Now, go back and listen, listeners, to the episode I did on um, uh, X-Men number 65, where Charles comes back from the dead. That's the one with Alex Segura and Keith DeCandido. I do a lot of exploration of Charles Xavier's psychology and complexities there, so Mm -hmm. I won't take time to do that here. But there's, there's a lot to this character that is definitely worthy of being explored. He was like an Indiana Jones adventurer around the country for a while. He's like fighting crime in Tibet, you know, like, (laughs) right. He was also a soldier. He was, he's a veteran. Uh, the, the, the exploration of these, these eras of his history are fascinating, but we're not going to go there today. Yeah. It's, um, there's so much there's so much to him. in x-men unlimited number 12 this is the next hit 1996 we have a story by john francis moore he gives us a pretty intense juggernaut story and it's good this is the onslaught issue where juggernaut's been trapped in the gem and there's all this crazy stuff happening and sidorak is there but we're going to focus just on the the flashbacks to youth here uh if i read kurt will you read kane here sure Kurt Marco says, you could have hurt your new stepbrother. He's not as big as you are, Kane. Can't you try to be friends with Charles? He's part of our family now. Yeah, well, nobody asked me about that. <laughs> it's just these little flashbacks. We also see another one where Kane is eavesdropping on Kurt and Sharon. Uh, I'll read Kurt here. You read Sharon. Kurt says, I'm telling you, Sharon, Charles is gifted in ways we never imagined. Make no mistake about it. That boy is going to change the world. You should devote some time to your other son. Can't you see Kane's anger is the only way he knows to get your attention? And Kurt says, there's nothing I can do. Kurt, uh, Kane was born a bad seed. And the, the implications here for this story are particularly trying to set up the rivalry between Kane and Charles. Mm. The idea that Kane grew up thinking that his dad preferred Charles to him is, is a large part of this. But again, yeah. it's another flashback. We get a little bit more of the exploration of that relationship. There's a lot happening off panel is what, what we're going to get. Yeah, yeah. And to just know that this one panel, these two or three panels here that give you so much insight into Kane's anger and, and to know to, to know that his dad flat out said, eh, there's nothing there's nothing worth developing in Kane. He's, he's <laughs> trash. Like um, I'm the worst, I know, but I'm after your son. I'm Look at the potential the of your child. And again, right. we'll get to the Mr. Sinister part in a minute. So that part right. becomes more fascinating when you know some of the motives. Everyone knew about the genetic potential of Charles. That's why we're here in New Mexico. So in X-Men Forever, this is a series by Fabian Nicieza in 2001. Are you very familiar with the series? Uh, I have this issue and just a bunch of random ones because this was around the time that I was going weekly to the shop. Uh, I know these stories, but they just ha- not having read them 
in a while or especially as a run uh no <laughs> no we will eventually get to the trial of the stranger on my show uh next year is my plan the stranger is the a big cosmic alien old man i call him like orville redenbacher in space <laughs> <laughs> who comes to earth and manipulates people sometimes he's a little bit like the collector he's a little bit like i don't know he's he's a he's a weird science guy who likes to build exhibits full of things uh now this is right when the first x-men movie was coming out and mystique has now been changed in the comics she's got the white dress and the skull and the red hair but in the movie rebecca romaine makes her like the the, the blue bodysuit covered mm -hmm. in like beads and gems yeah Toad in the comics is the court jester but ray park plays him in the movie and he's like a karate master I know part of the edict for this particular series was for Fabian to change Toad and Mystique more into the movie versions of themselves, but he tells a pretty big story. He gives us six characters uh, who are traveling through time, occupying past versions of themselves in order to discover some fundamental truths that they need to then uh, defeat the stranger. We're not going to cover the whole series, but it's an interesting read and there's some pretty good character exploration. Uh, we've got Juggernaut here, we've got Toad, we've got Mystique, we've got Jean Grey. Uh, who, oh yeah, yeah, and Iceman is the other one. I think I said there were six. I think there's five. Maybe I'm missing someone. Anyway, it's a good series and I really enjoy it. And there's a lot that's explored. And because it's Nisi, as you know, it's going to be interesting. Mm -hmm. But there is a time when they end up at Alamogordo. Uh, all of the X-Men are occupying their bodies at the same moment in history. So Toad in this is a baby floating in a stasis bubble what? in a room full of babies filled with stasis bubbles we covered this a little bit in the toad trial yeah. prior to this all we knew was that toad had been beat up and magneto recruited him sometime but we're now seeing him as an experiment in a giant facility full of mutant children uh let, let's just talk about that much <laughs> there's so much and again like just just every now and then let's just drop a bomb and see what happens what goes off to have toad intertwined into this to know that okay we we saw that there was something happening kurt knew about charles's powers and his potential but to have it peeled back that much further like no we have we have mutant children in test tube pods essentially that's crazy that's insane these people signed up their children for this. These <laughs> scientists were like, yeah, all right, you know, uh, for science, let's go. Um, Kane is also there. He's in his teenage body, like exploring this facility. Mystique is also out. there because she is looking for truth about Irene Adler or Destiny, her lover, who is there. This is even before they were revealed to be wives, you know. Uh, so there's a lot of characters that are tied in here. We see Alexander Reiking and Kurt marco and destiny and this was recently referenced in immortal x-men for those that yeah. are watching, are all working at something called the black womb project uh tell us who black womb is justin if this is a character you're familiar with amanda she, Mueller. yeah so she's not really but and, and i don't think that there's a whole lot that we know about her other than she she becomes miss sinister uh ish yes ish right right in in some way in some genetic manipulation way um isn't she she's immortal or is trying to be immortal there's more to this character than you think but there's not a lot i'm gonna do a patreon about her in a couple of months everybody so stay tuned but she is like 
Cyclops's great grandma. And she is an immortal mutant who was willing to abort her own babies to have them experimented on, which is why she's called the Black Womb. She's a crazy scientist. Her daughter's name is Fontanelle. She's a uh, character in Gambit. So uh, Nissi is a, does a whole bunch of like sinister stuff in his Gambit series, Gambit Volume 3. Uh, and a lot of that ties in here, but we're not going to take a deep dive over there. But this woman, Amanda Mueller, is running this project that Xavier and Marco and Reiking are all working toward. Uh, and they have mutant babies in stasis tubes. That's kind of the big thing here. It's so uh, crazy. Do you, do you have thoughts on that or questions about it? It just, it's so X-Men, right? I i had heard, but not known the connection, like, like actively known the connection between Amanda and the Summers. And to know that it's like, oh yeah, you thought that the Summers family was crazy? Let me tell you about this woman. <laughs> like, what? And every time you think you know everything you know about Sinister, there's more there also. Sinister is a very complicated character who has a lot of history. He's especially intricately woven into a lot of the X-Men's uh, entire history. Yeah, well, and especially to just continue to add those those little, oh yeah, and Nathaniel was there. He was just wearing someone else's face, hanging out in the background, just hiding his energy diamond. <sighs> and again, this is kind of all you get. We get this view into Alamogordo. We see that they're experimenting on mutant children. The end. Like that's that's kind of yeah. the, the flashbacks go on from there, but that's kind of the implication. And the purpose it serves in this story is there's a lot of secrets being kept, basically. And all the X-Men that are time traveling are realizing there's a lot they don't know about their own histories. And, and again, we'll review all this stuff in the stranger trial when we get there eventually. Uh, but major implications for what was happening at Alamogordo. Uh, we've now had expanded into something entirely different. Right. And, and it's just to, to say, here's this crazy thing. Okay, now let's move along. And what, seven years go by before we don't even touch that? We don't even acknowledge that like, oh yeah, there's there's a bunch of babies back in time in test tubes. Uh, okay, we're going to jump to 2008. There's a series called X-Men Legacy. Xavier has fucking been through it at this point. He lost his powers. He went into space. He got his powers back from the Emkron crystal. And then he like got shot in the head and he's like lost all his memories. And we're he's trying to figure out who he was. So this is a series by Mike Carey. It's brilliant. The whole series it's is so brilliant. Good. It's exploring I... the complexities of Xavier as he's traveling through all of his past mistakes uh, dangers there, Rogue is there, there's a, a big giant sinister story, Juggernaut's there. It's a great series. Yeah, I had not read it until maybe a year or two ago, and just how deep and interweaving it is with the, all these little tidbits and stories, it's so fascinating, all the, the different bits that it brings up and then expands on while still being this current, present X-Men action uh, series. So I'm going to cover this an issue at a time. In 211, we see Charles going back to Alamogordo or New Mexico to try to find truth about his past. Uh, his dad is confirmed who has died when he was seven here. So I, I, I theorized it was 10 initially. It looks like it was seven. Uh, he goes to the, quote, Riking Secure Psychiatric Facility, and he finds Carter Riking. So Hazard is here. And Hazard has lost his powers on M-Day, and now he's just kind of a mental patient, uh, which is super sad. And Charles looks into to Carter's mind. Again, Charles has lost his memories at this point. And he sees mm -hmm. a flashback from Carter's youth 
Uh, Charles is playing with Carter while Brian and Sharon are arguing. Uh, so we get, this is kind of Brian Xavier's first time on the page, basically. Right. Uh, this is the first time we've seen him and it's like 2008 at this point. Uh, if I read Sharon here, will you read Brian? Sure. Sharon says, more tests? No, no, Brian, I won't let you. This isn't right. He's just a child. No, Sharon, he's not. He's got the X form of the LL. Allelia? Which is like a, a branch on the DNA. Yeah, yeah, fully expressed. Dr. Milbury already explained this to you. Charles is the next big thing. The thing that comes after humanity. If he was just a child, we wouldn't be here. Kids are resilient. Nature makes them that way. Charlie probably won't even remember any of this. But even if he does, even if it hurts him, it's what we signed up for. And then Charles and Reiking are being injected with something by Mr. Sinister, who tells Charles, your genes will live forever. And then Charles leaves in the in the present and Alexander dies suddenly from a brain hemorrhage. And then uh, Gambit's there with Xavier. We'll, we'll, we'll pick up on this more in a second, but what does this issue do for us? Holy shit. <laughs> what? In what? In, in these two pages? In these two pages, expanding so much of all the mystery that was what's going on, connects it to, no, yeah, yeah. We were there experimenting on kids, but we were also there experimenting on our own kids. And there was this guy, he is also Mr. Sinister. This, this Just the one panel at the bottom where it's like, hey, yeah, I got a diamond on my forehead. Isn't that crazy? Isn't that fun? And Sinister has a couple names he uses, uh, Michael Milbury being one of the most common. So we get this idea that Brian and Sharon have discovered their child has the X gene and they're allowing him to be experimented on. Uh, it, it, it could be that they are a little helpless with all this. Maybe they feel overwhelmed by having a mutant kid and they feel like they need help. Maybe they are too far in. Maybe they are fully participating with like, fuck mutants, man. Let's let's let this kid uh, be experimented on. It's it's a really interesting thing. The idea of like the scientist who's willing to let his kid be uh, experimented on because he's afraid of what his kid might be. Yeah, but it, it almost reads as Brian is excited by the potential of this breakthrough. He's like, you know, we are contributing to new science because of the potential that's baked into our son. Whereas Sharon is like, hey, can he just be a kid? Can he just be alive? Can we not do this every day? What? So 212, we get another important flashback uh, to Kurt and Sharon. Will you read Kurt here? Sure. You get to call me a stupid sow, Seth. <laughs> I just called you sad. Oh, good Lord. You get to call me a stupid sow, Justin. Keep your mouth shut, you stupid sow. Didn't I tell you? Didn't I? You don't understand anything. Kurt, please. I only said for the children's sake, we should leave here. You want me to start in on you again, woman? Milbury's not going to let anyone leave. That's why you're Sharon Marco now instead of Sharon Xavier. You know what he calls the project now? Kronos. After some Greek god used to eat his own kids. Don't you think that's funny? He thinks it's funny. Can't keep him from smiling every time he says it now. I won't let him do it, Kurt. Not to my Charlie. It's out of our hands now. Anyhow, it might not be Charlie or Kane. It could be any of them. But whoever it is, you're not getting in the way of this, Sharon. If it works for him, it'll work for all of us. And then dying is something that happens to other schmucks. 
he raises his fist again. Can I don't? And young Brian and Charles are, are, are excuse me, young, young Charles and young Kane are sitting out on the steps listening to all of this. So what do we learn here? The promise, the thing that Nathaniel Essex, you know, the thing that Mr. Sinister is working on is potentially it's known by the rest of the scientists and it's you could buy in right give us your kid we'll we'll experiment on this and then you get to be immortal as well you get to join in our secret group uh here's my head cannon we'll talk more about the cronus project in just a second but mr sinister has been around for a while now he's this crazy geneticist that apocalypse powers up to live for a long time he's obsessed with experimenting on mutants I'm kind of getting the idea that he brought these people together because he knew they had the potential to have mutant children. He signed them to some sort of deal, but now they're stuck. They can't leave. Uh, We get the implication here that Brian Xavier died and then Sinister at least, or Milbury, like influenced Sharon to marry uh, Kurt somehow. Like she felt pressure because if she leaves that we're going to come after you. We also get the implication directly stated that Kane, Charles, and uh, Carter are all children that are being experimented on, mm-hmm. which is an interesting piece because if Kurt Marco expected his child to be born a mutant and then he wasn't, that might be one of the reasons that Kane is so disappointing to him. Yeah, but also, yeah. how long was Milbury involved? Was he involved right. before the children were born? After? Did he detect the X gene when they were kids and then brought the people aboard? And why well, did Brian die? What the fuck? There's so many things to explore here. And especially Kane not having been there, right? So he's he's there now as a teenager coming back. So is it is that why he was sent away? Because, well, you've got nothing for us he was experimented on in the beginning so maybe there was the potential of this happening but now that kurt's brought in at this level we need to keep him engaged so let's actually make him engaged and married and you know to to keep us having charlie so that we can continue to do all this crazy stuff i regret what i've signed up for i want to protect my child and sharon's the heroic character here who's trapped by circumstances it also gives us more context as far as why she turned to drinking because maybe Maybe she killed her husband and still couldn't get away. Like there's there's so many potentials here because she wants right. to protect her kid. Now in this era of X-Men comics, Sinister is dead. Rogue touched him and he died. That's kind of all you need. And yeah. this is a really complex story that's allowing Sinister to come back, but in a really creepy way. And by also tying it into early X-Men stuff. This next part is hilarious because you get the idea that Sinister has been preparing for the event of his own death for decades. But now on Krakoa, you can just be resurrected for any number of reasons. And Sinister also in future comics has entire cities filled with clones of himself. Yeah. Uh, So in the present in this issue, adult Xavier is captured because Mr. Sinister in this Cronus project has planted his own DNA strands into the genomes of Charles Xavier, uh, Carter Reiking, and Kane Marco, and Sebastian Shaw. Surprise! Because Sebastian Shaw's father was a mutant who hunted people with the X gene for Sinister, who was then breeding mutant children to make his experiments. And Sinister's goal here is, if I put my DNA in you, I can eventually, if I die, come back and take over your form. Because Sinister's dead, he's now trying to take over Charles's form, but Charles is taken before Amanda Mueller, the Black Womb, who is so creepy. She's, yeah. like, a, she's like the crypt keeper in a, in a corset. 
<laughs> there's a big fight and Sinister literally takes over Xavier's body, but ultimately he gets repelled and instead ends up taking over the form of the Black Womb, who is then Miss Sinister. Yeah. And there's a comment at the end of issue 214 talking about all these old methods of Sinister's uh are he's like perfected a human cloning now so like what was the point of doing all this in the fucking first place uh so the chronic like you even notes the chronos project is kind of null and void yeah uh, layers of shit. backup plans right yeah he's got all these backup plans no, he cannot leave us and it's just crazy having just finished sins of sinister and to see how that ties into this idea of him implanting himself in other people to expand his potential and what he could do. One yeah. of the many things explored in Sins of Sinister, for our listeners who may not read the modern comics, Sinister has, uh, there's a resurrection product uh, on Krakoa, and they use Sinister's like DNA store of all mutants to be able to do this. And Sinister has interwoven his own DNA secretly into some of the characters, and they are brought back with Sinister in control. And one of them is Charles Xavier. Uh, and Charles has already been possessed by Sinister and already, we right. know, has his Sinister's DNA interwoven into him right from the beginning. There's and a moment in that famous speech by Xavier where he's like, you know, Scott and I both have Sinister manipulating our lives and we've never sat and talked about it. Right. Uh, so most, I don't think most X-Men readers remember this, that, that Sinister's DNA was there all along and that there's a lot of fucking stuff to explore here. Which is crazy because Kieran definitely remembers this, right? So this is, this is direct polls. I, it, it was when that Immortal X-Men issue came out where Destiny and Mystique are at Alamogordo and and then confronting Nathaniel. The the quote from Nietzsche is used in the quote page in Immortal X-Men. So like, like this is clearly referencing and then building off of, right? He's doing the big work of finding all those loose threads. What can I use? What can I build on and expand? And to show that the next level, well, you know, Sinister has been working on this plan for a little while, and now he's adapted his methods. There is a lot of story potential here. There is a lot that is unrevealed about the Cronus Project and the Black Womb Project and all these mutant babies and exactly what Sinister was doing and how far those things uh, connect with other things. And Amanda Mueller's involvement with it all and Destiny's involvement with it all. Mm. There's so much story potential here. It's insane when you stack all this up because this yeah. is kind of the first time with Mike Carey, like really giving us a story about that era rather than just a flashback and its impact on modern characters. It's fascinating to me. Yeah. Yeah. To just know how involved sinister is and what he's doing and it's not just a one panel or a one page what it is here and there to build the seeds that then reveal to this big large plot that then carries on further it, it's just it's so on brand for sinister for him to do something like this and to do something to to have lied as to who he was and right and you get the context that maybe destiny knows and that's why she's there and that's why she's guiding some things and or trying to prevent some other things i genuinely look forward to exploring sinister on my show and there will be a day when i do a whole read through of him but if i'm if i'm summing up a few thoughts he's very obsessed with three things kind of science for science sake right he just wants to mix things together and see what happens uh self preservation which he has decades long plots, like in case I die, here's how I will come back. 
mm-hmm. and then creating like the ultimate mutant, right? Eugenics. The uh, the manipulation of Madeline Pryor and Cable, and and you know the the idea of seeing what he can do with chimeras. Like I gotta I gotta create the most powerful things. He's yeah. a fascinating character, and I'm so annoyed with him in the comics right now. I could use a, I could use a year or two of no sinister after Sins of sinister. <laughs> I I think that we'll get that thankfully because they really did position him as the X Men villain mm-hmm. in these last year or two of stories, building up to what was his grand success and ultimate failure in Sins of Sinister. His connection to Xavier alone, there's so much to explore, but I want to go see what happened with Brian and Sharon. I really want that story. And just when you think we're done being crazy, there are two giant stories that happened. Uh, The next one, New X-Men number 121. This is the Grant Morrison, Frank Quitely era. And we get a very brief, very important flashback to Sharon Xavier's pregnancy. Do you want to, you want to talk about this one, Justin? The This issue I have and vividly remember, it's the Nuff Said issue, right? So for a period of time, Marvel had issues without much or, or any real dialogue. So in this issue, it's all silent. It's Gene and Emma going into Xavier's mind and untangling a little bit of his history as we find that uh, he was a twin, kind of. <laughs> we'll uncover even further. Mama Dry, what? <laughs> it's just, it's such a, and again, right? On a few pages, in a couple panels, this huge, hey, yeah, uh, Xavier wasn't alone in the womb and he maybe killed somebody. The, okay. I'm trying to find a quick way to summarize Cassandra Nova. The idea here is there is a shadow dimension where psychic energy in like dark form exists as like a counterpart to some or all people that exist in this realm it's kind of like this idea of like an evil version of you floating behind the mirror. There's a, there's a weird energy about it. The Shi'ar call this the Mumadrai. And there it's it's mostly, you don't see the Mumadrai ever cross into our world. But for some reason, one particular batch of like evil psychic energy has like bonded with Xavier. I just want to blame Sinister for Cassandra. Yeah. Nova. And she like literally like, makes herself a twin inside the womb and baby Xavier. This is an infamous panel that I see all over the place all the time. Baby Xavier senses the threat of Cassandra Nova and like (laughs) chokes her to death. And then she is like an aborted baby. Like the fetus doesn't live. And when she dies, like Sharon Xavier falls down the stairs. Uh, Yeah. And then that entity goes on and over like a period of decades builds like, itself a body and then turns in into the like, sewer. yeah, then like turns into like the genocidal mad woman, ultimate soap opera plot, like Cassandra Nova. And it's fucking great. She's a great character. I, I uh, love, I love new X-Men. I love the, the <laughs> safari hats coming in, the wild sentinels. This is the woman who raised Genosha, who like attacked the Shi'ar Empire and like killed billions. Uh, she is nuts. Uh, we got to see a lot of her in the recent uh, Marauders series. So the implication here is Sharon lost a baby, hmm. which is then expanded on in much deeper ways in a very recent book called X Lives of Wolverine. Do you want to talk wow. to us about where this book came from? This is in 2022 by Ben Percy and Josh Kassara. 
Yeah. So this was half of a sprawling Wolverine story. You get the, the 10 lives of Wolverines, the X deaths of Wolverine, and how Wolverine is on a time hopping travel adventure trying to save Xavier's lineage from Omega Red and Mikhail, who Mikhail, are- Mikhail Rasputin is like the really powerful reality altering brother of Colossus. And he has weaponized Omega Red and is sending him back into bodies in the past with the instruction to kill Charles Xavier's parents so that Xavier will never be born. And Wolverine is being sent back into past versions of his own body to stop Omega Red. And it's an insane story. And it's so beautiful too. It was it was a great opportunity to explore the history of Wolverine, who arguably has a, a deep and interesting history. This was coming out at the same time that they had a a the life of Wolverine Infinity comic mm -hmm. going Jim, into by Jim Zub, who's a good friend of yeah. mine. Yeah, by going into these key points in more of a, a linear fashion of Wolverine story, whereas these 10 lives of Wolverine jump into different points, exposing things that you never knew happened. Did you know that Wolverine had a symbiote at one time? Wild. That, that was canon, but they just mixed it all together in yeah. ways. So this book shockingly opens with Brian and Sharon Xavier. And again, we've said this before, but this is the most attention they've ever gotten in any book ever. Uh, and Sharon is a fucking badass in this. Story. Oh, yeah. She's got uh, that, that Moira McTaggart first appearance energy with the, just the shotgun and the... <laughs> There is, okay, let me let me cover this. Uh, Brian Xavier is being served brandy by the fire by a servant. And Sharon is in labor in the next room. There's a midwife attending to her. It's Justin and Alicia's favorite character, Omega Midwife, who they named on their <laughs> podcast. Uh, Omega Red takes over the body of Bowers the gardener and tries to kill Brian with a set of garden shears. But Wolverine arrives and narrowly saves Brian from the attack. And then he orders a confused Brian to retrieve his gun. This is a brutal, violent story. Yeah, Omega, so Red, Omega Red then possesses the butler who opens fire on Brian and Brian has to kill the butler. Then Brian locked himself in the room where Sharon is in labor. And the midwife is in there and Sharon has just delivered a baby girl who is dead. And Sharon names her Cassandra. So that alone, she named this child. We didn't right. know that before. It's fucking crazy. And, and just, just a one detail to connect it to a great, like this is great work by Percy to take that and to show us a little bit more. We, we know who Cassandra is at this point. We know we, we, everyone's seen that baby boxing page and a half. And, but to see the after effect that happened in real time to Sharon and Brian and, and the Omega midwife, as we're going to see in a second. It's so fucking good. Okay. Then Omega Red takes over the midwife and she starts choking Sharon Xavier and she knocks Brian out with his own gun. And then Wolverine bursts through the fucking wall and Charles is born and Sharon promises to protect him. And Charles is still attached to her via umbilical cord. Wolverine is fighting Omega Red. Sharon, literally holding her child, who again is still attached to her, grabs the shotgun and ordered the two assassins out of her house. And then she shoots Wolverine, which is the wrong move. Yeah. And Omega Red takes her by the neck. And then Brian jumps on Omega Red's back. And Omega Red throws Brian across the room and drops Sharon. And then Wolverine picks up baby Charles, which is amazing. Uh, 
and uh, uh, cuts the cord, which is again so amazing. Wolverine it's cut so the umbilical crazy. cord for Charles Xavier, and then watched as a mega red fell through a window and landed below. And the midwife is now dead, and a mega red moves through time again. Right. So, do we learn about the Xavier? <laughs> well, shout out to Brian having ripped the eyeballs out of this midwife, right? And just that haunting, creepy smile of Omega midwife with no eyes staring at them. Uh, and and to know, you know, the the specifics of how this works for Wolverine, I don't know. But to to know that the way that this story falls is saying that these events happened all along. These were always a part of Xavier's history. They're not creating any branch off timelines because the, the connection of the, the timepiece that Wolverine has been carrying with him the entire time. And, and to know that, so he is this man who at this point does not have an adamantium skeleton. He's using his bone claws and then will just mentally remove himself that the future yeah. wolverine will disappear and then this guy is just gonna be here holding this baby around these people who are yeah. screaming losing their minds because this stranger with claws who's holding their baby just killed their midwife which you know not mad about because she was going crazy do they see the tentacles do they not do they see the omega red possession that was something that i was always curious of i think they have to see the tentacles but so the the uh the fact that Cassandra Nova was stillborn is a huge part of this. Hmm. Another part is this is something that these characters likely remember. It's never stated sure. directly, but you get the idea that this is a thing that happened. When she was in labor, Sharon Xavier was attacked brutally. They saw three people they care about die. They lost a baby, and then they're left with this little infant. When was Sinister involved? Was it before Charles was born? Was it after? Did this influence the decision as far as why they joined Alamogordo? Because they had these assassins attack them in their home, and now that's why they're afraid of mutants? Sure. Uh, there, there's a lot of really fascinating story potential here. It, this adds so much to these characters. And, yeah. Sharon, and Sharon's not the abused woman here. She's just a fucking badass in this. Yeah. Love the most of all. This is the Sharon we want. This is the Sharon we got to see more of. We're not done, though. Yeah. X-Lives of Wolverine 4 and 5. We get another wild turn. We go back to 1945 at a Japanese army base where Captain Kenji Oyama, and this guy is Lady Deathstrike's dad, and he's also the guy that invented adamantium, if you didn't know that. Yeah, yeah. He's, uh, he has been taken over by Omega Red, and he attacks the ship where Lieutenant Brian Xavier is serving. So apparently Brian is a veteran from World War II. Uh, Wolverine flies a Canadian fighter jet to d defend uh, Charles's dad. And after Logan saves Brian, Brian asks Logan, like, you should stay on as a soldier. I'm worried about your future. But Logan refuses. Uh, Brian then gives Xavier his watch and compass to guide him as Logan departs. Which then, does he recognize this as the same guy who would later, like, murder people <laughs> while his wife is in labor? So this is the last... Uh, the last we see of Brian or Sharon Xavier. This is a recent comic. It's just last year. But again, there's more context into the history of who Brian Xavier is. And he's never really had his time uh, to shine as a character. We don't know this guy or his motivations. There's so much to explore here. In in issue five, is this Brian? I, I had always thought that this was his father or like an ancestor uh, because we're in 1900. 
in Canada. And then when Brian, Brian is on the ship in Japan in issue four, uh, and I think that it's in the 1940s. Yes. So I think that this might be on the on the ship in issue five. I think this might be Brian's father, right? It's a 1945 Imperial Army base in Japan. I suppose um, that's possible. It's like an ancestor. I, I read it as Brian Xavier, which is Xavier's dad. It was never sure. stated to be anyone different, but that doesn't mean it's not an ancestor. And that's an easy way to clean up the continuity if we need to do it, is we just make it, <laughs> make it his dad. Yeah, because there's so many different points that he's coming through, right? So when he... he uh... There's there's a point where X Lives of Wolverine, which again is just a high paced adrenaline ride, but it's yeah. almost it's almost so much that you like there's like almost one scene too many because uh, sure. it's just so big. There's there's the whale. There's all the crazy stuff happening. <laughs> oh gosh, it's so crazy. It's so it's good after the fact. I was I remember being frustrated during uh, just because. We, we took a long road to not really add much but it's so beautiful though god it's, god, it's it. fun though it's really fun uh yeah. and you know my policy of i don't judge something until it's done once it's yeah. finished i'll go back and read the whole thing and then it's it's a pretty fun ride all the way through but it's yeah, very yeah. complicated uh i do think it's important to mention although we won't spend time on it there is exploration of charles xavier's ancestors in some weird places uh charles and marcia gray malkin are the parents of Jonas Graymalkin, who is a queer character in the 1800s who ends up getting buried underneath the Xavier Mansion and coming out in modern times. And there's literally zero exploration of his genetic connection to Charles Xavier. But there is a character on Krakoa named Graymalkin who is who is related to Professor X and like the history of his estate. Graymalkin Lane, and this character's name is Graymalkin. Yeah. It's um, so I did find I kept on swiping through uh the 10 lives issues he is named as benedict xavier oh. i don't know if we know that that's brian's father's name but uh an omega possessed shipmate from that that voyage that wolverine comes in and saves through as as this scrawny canadian teenager uh he names him benedict xavier which i thought was really interesting but the the tie to, to gray malkin and Jonas and, and to just know, okay, so is Gray Malkin an ancestral name that gradually becomes the family of Xavier? Is that because there has to be some kind of connection that that Xavier's family has lived there for I think six or seven generations? I when I was doing my research in X Lives and X Deaths, I was so hardly looking for Brian that I neglected to take notes on uh, on his ancestors. So thank you for including that. So yeah, in 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 this same series in issues two, three, and five, there's also an assassination attempt on Benedict Xavier. So uh, yeah, there's there's even more fascinating components. You know, just the layers and layers. Ben was like, I'm going everywhere with this. <laughs> There is also, uh, and, and we'll draw this comparison briefly, uh, since Moira came along, it changes a lot of what we understand about Charles. And this is something we do on my show a lot is how much did he know? Mm. We do know Charles goes to uh, Mr. Sinister at some point because they have the long-term plan for Krakoa and they form a deal with him that he's going to catalog all of the mutant DNA which the component of that where Charles is an experiment of Sinister's uh, <laughs> is 
fascinating. There's also right. the idea, there's also, it's hinted, but not directly stated, unless you understand it differently, Justin, that Moira, Magneto, and Charles all decide they want to father children that they will need in the future. Yes. So Charles, at a particular point in a Claremont story, uh, kind of mentally coerces Gabrielle Haller into having sex with him, and that results in the child Legion. Which, Super shady. If that's the case, does this is this a story that transcends the Xavier line? Like they allowed Charles to be born uh, because Sinister was interested, and then Charles allows Legion to be born because Moira Ooh. says so. There's some interesting right. components there as well. There's also a forgotten child. Uh, Charles Xavier and Mystique had a baby named Charles Xavier II. <laughs> who yeah. is somewhere out there. We do see a character come back from the future during Bendis's run. Uh, he's, an evil, he's an evil Xavier. And then there's also Xandra, who is sure. Charles and Lilandra's like genetic child, who's yeah. literally the majestrix of the Shi'ar empire at this point. So there's grandbabies. <laughs> right, right. Ah, just uh, do we need more Xaviers? <laughs> do we want more Xaviers? Xandra, I, I do, you know, I, I like her and especially through that recent Marauders run, I feel like she got to flex her royal abilities to to lead and to really stand up and to own the history of her people that I thought was really interesting and and even to to develop the connection between Xandra and Xavier the the psychic reaching out to her father at the point of her death to to send potential spoilers left and right <laughs> to send her her mental and, and genetic code across the cosmos and, and reach out to her father. And this is something that's completely unexplored. But if Charles and Mystique have a baby and Destiny was involved in Alamogordo, where Sinister was also involved, and we know a lot about the Destiny-Sinister rivalry, what happened to create this child between Charles and Mystique? Did they have sex? Because gross. And where yeah. did this child come from? There's right. a lot of potential for all of this. And as we're leaving this conversation, maybe more than any other episode on the Patreon, I'm like, holy shit, there's so many things to explore. There's so many unanswered questions. I love the character of Sharon Xavier. I definitely want to know more about Alamogordo. I definitely want to know more about Kurt Marco. I want to see Hazard back and what that means for all of this. And the sinister of it all is just, just it's just dripping down the walls with blood. This whole, the, the, like, the, he's so thick in this and it's just so unexplored outside of that Cronus Project story. What, yeah. uh, like, what energy are you sitting with? What's the, what are we, the stories we need as a result of this research? Well, I just feel like this, in these, in these flashes throughout time has been building this increasingly complex backstory of what Nathaniel Essex, you know, the, the, the orphanage and his involvement with Cyclops was that, that was later down the line. This is his big plot, his big plan, and how he connects to so many other legacy characters in ways that we had no idea. It just... I don't want more sinister right now because I feel like we've, <laughs> we've done that uh, a little much, but to see all this makes me like, what else was he up to? What else was he doing? Because that guy, that, that immortal issue shows just how much he was thinking forward in, in to be aware of the potential of AI dominions and, and to know that the thinking machines and to, to be doing this, in somewhat of a heroic way uh, of to find a way for us 
as meat people, I guess, because he doesn't distinguish <laughs> between human or mutant. He's just he's casting his net on aliens, on on magic, on all sorts of nonsense. That it's just anything. It's just meat versus machine. No division on on how you identify or or who you're connected to genetically. Uh, there's just so much to everything that weaves through this. Here's where things get crazy. The X-Men is so largely involved in time travel. There's so many components of how the timelines weave together. Here's part of the story I want to tell. And I literally have like a whole prequel idea that ties in so much. I've been doing all the 60s stuff. So I know all the mysteries that need to be explained. And I have them all in like one major script. So without spoiling anything, because I want to write this story eventually. The other character that ties in here without being stated is Bolivar Trask. Sure. Bolivar Trask has two mutant children. And one of them is a precog, Larry, and the other is a time traveler, right, who becomes Madame Sanctity. That's Tanya. Mm. And Tanya disappears into the future where the child of Scott and Jean, Rachel, raises her in that far future where uh, Cable comes from. And she's the one that comes back into the past and sends Cyclops and Jean back into the 1800s. And they are integral into the formation of Mr. Sinister in the first place. Mm-hmm. There's, there's some really crazy like ribbons to tie all together here yeah. that, uh, that really get just, it's just insane. The nonsense of it all. And the Summers is the one we always go, holy shit, there's so much here. But the Xavier's is there too. That's another yeah. story that's just wild. The sinister of it all is exhausting, if I'm honest. <laughs> he's just he's just in too many places at too many times and, and messing with so many people. And now there's four of them. <laughs> right. Oh. Right. The sinister yeah. is the uh, Kang the Conqueror of the X-Men. Like, there's yeah. so complicated, it's hard to wrap your brain around. Uh, this has been a delight to delve into, uh, and my brain is like firing on all cylinders. I want to go like explore these characters and write these stories. And I definitely want to see this stuff explored. Chances are we won't get it in the comics for a long time, but we didn't expect Sharon and Brian in that X lives story either. So it'll be another 10 or 20 years down the line and they'll be like, Hey, yeah. Remember Brian and Sharon, they were doing these crazy (laughs) things. Yeah, the, uh, the Summers family is crazy, and I'll do an episode on them soon, but the Xavier family rivals them for craziness. It's uh, When we got to do like Beast and Iceman's parents, we're talking about it like raising a mutant kid and the queer mm. allegory. This is just time travel, insanity, like genetic manipulation shit. It's nuts. There's so much here. Yeah. Um, this has been delightful, my friend. Do you have any kind of final thoughts as we're wrapping up? It's wild how little it's been developed right and i think we're saying that throughout how across this 60 year continuity and hundreds of years essentially when you introduce sinister into the equation that you're looking at this large snapshot of time and potential and just how we only have flashes of what happened and these flashes have been developed across time in that 60 years of of publication there's so much to it and there's so much more that I want. And it just, it, to, to view it as one large story of Charles's parents and and what they have contributed to in the legacy of the X-Men and in the legacy of mutant children and and how they have been staked as a a tentpole in to that story. It just, I, 
we started this at 10 a.m. my time and I, you know, sipping my coffee, groggy, but my mind is on fire right now, just with how much of this is like, what are you kidding me? How are these things here? And, and what are they meant to mean? And Stan, did you have any intention of all of this? Like, did you know what was going on at Alamogordo in any way, shape or form? I don't think so. <laughs> Sinister, uh, did he know about Cassandra? Is he sure. responsible for all this? How much has he influenced Xavier over the years? How did Brian Xavier die? This, yeah. this story that we started with in the first panel of him is he died in a nuclear explosion. What the fuck? There's so much to explore here. Uh, Sharon's later days. It's so easy to write a story where Charles finds a diary that she left behind at the mm -hmm. end of her life. Uh, Kurt Marco and her relationship. I mean, I could go on and on. Just There's just this list of integral parts that are connected to so many X-Men characters. Uh, Des Destiny and Mystique and Toad and Juggernaut and Xavier and Sinister and Black Womb. And, you know, like it just goes on and on. It's nuts. This whole thing is nuts. And literally any other character could have been written to be in one of those other tubes, right? You, how many other mutants could you connect to this story? Could you connect to, to Black Womb? Could you connect to Alamogordo and, and all of this other history with weaving connections to these other characters? There's so much potential for where you could go to expand further. I bet there is a reason why Fabian Nicieza never picked up the Hazard story again, but that's one of the things that kind of stands out here too, because it seemed like he was starting something yeah. and you almost wonder if editorial made it go in a different direction because right. it kind of became one more piece that was never touched on. That's almost one of the most interesting components here. Because the other stories were, the other stories were kind of done where they were. x Lives yeah. what we needed. The X-Men legacy story was all about the Cronus project, but that's the one that kind of was left as just that huge carrot dangling out in the universe, you know? Yeah. Uh, fascinating. Uh, Justin, this has been a genuine delight. I love hanging out with you. It's rare that I get to let my nerd brain fire at this level with someone who understands the continuity and the complexity as much as I do. So thank you. This has been a gift. Yeah, this is a ton of fun. And so much just, just, I'm, I'm so excited to, I, I want to read more. I want to know more, but it doesn't exist, right? This is the, <laughs> this is the extent that we know. This is why I write stories. And by the way, you haven't read the notes yet, but Sinister is also tied to the high evolutionary. So have fun oh, yeah. with that. <laughs> oh, I know. <laughs> Uh, okay, we're going to put this out the first Wednesday in June on the Patreon channel. Uh, so as we're wrapping up, where can people find you online? And is there anything you'd like to plug? I know it's hard to predict your show that far out. You know, that'll be that'll be around my birthday. So I'll be hanging out, having a good time. Uh, I am co-host of the Ex-Wife podcast with Alicia. Uh, that's T-H-E-X-W-I-F-E -E podcast like X-Men, not former wife. That's her bit that I, I try to... Uh, make sure that it makes its way into any shows that I do without her by my side. It's but a good bet. That, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, that we are talking about primarily the current continuity, Krakoa, building what's happening there, but still, you know, to, to talk about Krakoa and to talk about everything that's happening now, you interweave with everything that happened before, because we had to do a surface level dive into who is Joseph this week, because that came up. Uh, <laughs> weird <laughs> <laughs> oh joseph that's a whole story too well that joseph is magneto's clone that's that's all you need for now 
there, there's an appearance of uh, Magneto at the end of the most recent Scarlet Witch as we record this that people are like, is that Magneto or is that Joseph? It's kind of fun. We had some eagle-eyed listeners point out the neck scar underneath the helmet that uh, harkens back to Joseph's beheading in 2019. <laughs> and, and maybe, if not definitely, confirms that, no, that's Joseph. That's Joseph. And he is just rocking the, uh, a, a peak angry Magneto look that I'm excited to see where There's a couple characters that I just hate. And Joseph is on that list. But I'll, yeah. I'll make room if there's a good story. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we had someone comment in and they're like, I wonder if that'll help or or lead into Wanda dealing with her father's her quote unquote father's death, right? You know, not not her father figure, sure, we'll call him, because we did have that touching moment where they they acknowledge, I think is in sword six or something around there, where uh they're they're talking about, you know, even if you're not genetically my daughter, you'll always be my family. Sure. And that, that was so beautiful. Uh, Steve Orlando knows what he's doing. I would yeah. trust the process. He's uh, he's weaving the stuff in. We got the vision. We got Hulkling and Wiccan coming up there. Uh, he's he knows he knows what he's doing. He's yeah, like, this is a good he's, series. He is the deep cut master. He's bringing back all those random characters that you didn't even know that you needed to to connect and tie together. She kicked Doctor Hydro's ass in the first issue, and Doctor Hydro has not been seen since 1974. That was amazing. Right. Yeah. <laughs> It's okay, just on one page. <laughs> it's just the one guy she got to punch out. Uh, okay, uh, lastly, uh, I'm Gray Malkin PP like podcast on Twitter, Gray Malkin underscore land on Instagram. The next uh, Patreon coming out directly after this one is going to feature the other half of the ex-wife podcast, meaning ex as an X-Men, not former wife, uh, Miss <laughs> Alicia Wilder. And we're going to delve into the character Peepers. And we're planning, I hope it's okay to stay out loud. We're planning on getting high and it's going to be delicious because Peepers is ridiculous and I love it. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and then the next episode on my main show after this uh, is featuring X-Men, the Hidden Years, numbers eight and nine. And the guest on that episode is Erica Schultz. So, uh, uh, keep your ears out for that one it's going to be a lot of fun uh justin do you have any thoughts on peepers before we close i peepers was a blind spot up until his appearances in sword number one and i was like wait what who is this guy why are we so excited why is he good friends with magneto what do i need to know about this guy and i'm glad to be looking over alicia's shoulder at her notes and to know that we share the email address that there is the details of what i could just explore this crazy guy with big eyes whenever i do these episodes i compile like character files and send them to my guests so that's what justin's is reference justin's referencing i literally wrote the encyclopedia on peepers up on the appendix if you want to go look oh, cool. i love him. yeah yeah that's <laughs> awesome all right everybody thank you for listening we'll see you back here next time on gray malkin lane's patreon channel say goodbye to your credit card rewards greedy corporate mega stores led by walmart and target are pushing for a law in congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets the durbin marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it if you love your credit card rewards tell your lawmakers hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill.